reading of Scripture this morning is found in the book of the Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, in your pew Bible, page 909. I invite you to open your pew Bible or, or your own personal Bible for the reading of God's Word. And let us ask the Lord, whose Spirit breathed out this Word for us and preserved it in Scripture, now to breathe upon us afresh that we might have minds ready to receive and hearts ready to believe his truth. Let us pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you will give to us a spirit of wisdom that we may more truly know you in accordance with your word. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glory, and your immeasurable greatness of power through Jesus Christ, our Savior, whom you raised from the dead and seated at your right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In his name we pray. Amen. The book of the Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear the word of God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and to his name be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He ascended into heaven. The ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven is one of the most important events in his ministry for us. It is absolutely essential for our eternal security, and it is of absolute importance in terms of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. But why is that? What does it mean to say he ascended into heaven, and why does that really matter to us? Well, first of all, The scripture is clear that Jesus' ascension into heaven was a real event. That is, it really happened in history. It was observed by his apostles, multiple witnesses, as we just read from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. 
And the passage from Acts 1 is as straightforward as it could possibly be. It is obviously reporting an historical event of which uh, at least 11 men of trustworthy character were eyewitnesses. Now, granted, it is reporting a supernatural event, a non-repeatable event, beyond the ordinary, observable, natural phenomena of life in this world. But it's clear from the passage that Jesus' bodily ascension into heaven literally happened. And that's point number one. That's very simple. But point number two is that Jesus' ascension into heaven was if I may say so, much, much more than, much more than just a literal miracle. It, it was a literal miracle, yes, but, it, but one which teaches us great theological, spiritual uh, reality. Jesus' ascension into heaven was not merely, not merely simply his dramatic departure from earth. It, it was not simply about what happened to Jesus after he rose from the dead. It's not simply an explanation of how Jesus left earth after his resurrection. it's, It's about much more than that. It's about his ascent to the throne. It's about his kingship. It's about his exaltation to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, that, that very expression, the right hand of God the Father, that's a figurative expression. It's a symbolic language. We know that God the Father does not, in fact, have a, a hand. But that's biblical, figurative, symbolic language referring to God's almighty power, his almighty authority. And Jesus is at his right hand in the position of his almighty power, his almighty authority. Now think about it. We use that very same kind of figurative or symbolic language about the right hand in our own day-to-day earthly life concerning human relationships. For example, in business, the owner of a business might hire someone to run the business. A a right-hand man, of course. And the right-hand man on the the field, on the site, the right-hand man is authorized, he is invested with the authority and the power of the owner and empowered to act with the owner's authority and power on his behalf in running the business. Or overseeing the work. You know, it's not an exact analogy, but it illustrates the, the point. Jesus has been exalted and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And now he rules over all things with the power and authority of God the Father. Point number one, Jesus' bodily ascension into heaven was a real event witnessed in history. Point number two, Jesus' ascension is of great spiritual significance because it teaches us that Jesus is now in the place of highest authority, ruling over all things. And we're going to say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But first, the next point has to do with heaven, as I was speaking with the young disciples. Where is heaven? How did Jesus' resurrection body enter heaven? The the scripture says that Jesus was taken up into heaven. Now, let me ask you, does that mean that heaven 
is somewhere way, 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 way up there. This is a point at which some people would critique and reject the scriptures and the Christian faith on the charge that the Bible and therefore Christianity are based on ancient, primitive mythology, an unscientific worldview which no intelligent modern person could possibly embrace. No intelligent modern person believes that the earth is flat, that the sky is a visible dome above the earth, and that there is this invisible world called heaven above the visible sky. Nobody believes that anymore. So you see, they say, this whole notion of Jesus ascending into heaven is just ancient mythology. Well, guess what? Every day, people with a scientific background, meteorologists, tell us what time sunrise is, what time sunset will be. Well, don't those modern scientific people know that the sun does not rise or set? Or do they believe in ancient mythology? No, the meteorologists do not believe in ancient mythology. And neither do we. Those meteorologists use figurative language based on our common everyday experience from our human perspective. In our common everyday experience from our human perspective on earth, the sun appears to rise in the morning and appears to set in the evening. And so even scientists use that figurative language without apology. When Jesus ascended into heaven, yes, the scripture says his body was lifted up, elevated from the earth miraculously, and a cloud took him from their sight. So, yes, there was a, there was a literal elevation from the earth's surface to some degree. We don't know to what degree, but there was. There was a literal cloud which hid him from their sight. We don't know how high the elevation was. We don't know how high the cloud was, but none of that is the point. You know, it, it was not as though the apostles stood there and watched Jesus go up, 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 you know, like he was attached to some gigantic helium balloon or something. That's not the picture. He was lifted up and a cloud hid him from their sight. And that was a kind of object lesson. That was a visual aid for the apostles so that they would know what was really happening. And here's the point. Now we get to the point. The apostles, first century Jews, you see, they wouldn't have interpreted this, this literal, physical event as a, as a strange, bizarre event defying the laws of nature. They would have interpreted it in spiritual terms, in biblical terms, in theological terms. They knew that Jesus' physical elevation, however high that was, was a symbolic revelation of his spiritual exaltation. He was being lifted up. And they knew that the cloud which took him, the cloud which hid him from their sight, 
was not merely a natural accumulation of water molecules that just happened to be floating by at the time. Oh, we can't see him anymore because there's a cloud. No. It was, in fact, a supernatural symbolic representation of the glory of God. The Shekinah glory cloud of God's holy presence. It was the same cloud of God's holy presence that protected the Israelites and led them out of Egypt. It was the cloud of glory which covered Mount Sinai when the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. It was the cloud of glory of God's presence when He descended and filled the tabernacle. When God met with Moses in the wilderness, it was the cloud of glory which God, which, of God which filled the temple in Jerusalem when its construction was completed and the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple and placed in the Holy of Holies. It was the cloud of the glory of God which overshadowed Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus' body filled with heavenly light and they heard the voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was the cloud of glory on which the Son of Man, the divine King, would come in power to bring His kingdom in all its fullness. You see, the real point here is that this literal miracle, this physical manifestation of Jesus' elevation and his being taken up from them in a cloud was revealing to the apostles that Jesus was going up in the sense of being exalted, being raised to the right hand of God the Father, being received into the holy of holies in the presence of God in the highest heavens. To receive the name that is above every name. So, Jesus' ascension into heaven is not about space travel. You can't get to heaven riding on a rocket ship. You can't get to heaven riding on a cloud. Heaven is not a faraway place. It is a spiritual dimension. And right now, if the veil between heaven and earth were pulled back, at this very moment, if we were given eyes to see, we would see the spiritual realities of heaven surrounding us right here. It's not a faraway place. It's a different dimension, hidden from our eyes. So, the reality, and the real point, is that Jesus ascended, he was exalted into that dimension of heaven. He is above all. He rules over all. Not because he's way, 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 way up, 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 up there. But because he's the son of God who's been given the name which is above every name. Now, we use the same kind of language. Think about this. Let's say, for example, there's a, there's a person who lives in Denver, Colorado, the Mile High City. That person is elected as a United States senator. Okay? Where is that person going to fulfill the office? That person is going to go up to Washington from Denver. Right? That elected senator is going to go up to Washington, D.C. From Denver? Really? Yeah, really. Going up in terms of the authority and power of the office. It's like saying that the office of the president is the... Say it. Just go ahead and say it. Office of the President is the highest office in the nation. Oh, really? 
The Oval Office in the White House is the, is the highest office? Of course not. That's ridiculous. It's the highest in terms of honor, authority, power. That's where Jesus is. Seated at God's right hand. The seat of almighty authority and power. The heavenly office of divine authority and omnipotence. As the scripture says, in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So the ascension of Jesus Christ is most importantly about the kingship of Jesus, his kingship over all things, his kingship over the world, his kingship over the world to come, his kingship over our lives. Now, that kingship of Christ is not presently not at the present moment, it is, is not visible. And in fact, we see a lot in this world that, that indicates that it has not yet been revealed in all of its fullness. But it is in effect. And it, this is one of the most important articles of our faith. Dear Christian, you are called to believe that the king of the universe is the one who was crucified for sinners, crucified for your sins. He is the one with ultimate authority and power. Now, it is true that today, worldly and demonic spiritual powers continue to rebel against this kingship of Christ. Worldly, unbelieving, demonic powers rebel, engage in war against the king. But the scripture says that Jesus Christ must reign on his heavenly throne until he puts all his enemies under his feet. He is on the throne. The world rebels against him. But he is on the throne working his purposes out. Bringing his kingdom in its fullness and glory. And there is nothing, there is no power on earth, no power in hell that can stop him. He will not be dethroned. And this is a major theme of the New Testament which we must never forget, never overlook. Jesus Christ is the only true and rightful king and ruler of the universe. And he's the only true and rightful ruler of our lives. And in the end, Christ, who is now seated upon the throne, will be revealed as king of kings and lord of lords over all. And the scripture says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now some on that day, on that last day, on that last day when Christ comes again, when his glory, his authority, his power are fully revealed, some will bow the knee and confess him Lord with joy, thanksgiving and shouts of victory. Some will bow the knee with dread. And confess him, Lord, with eternal regret and gnashing of teeth in terrible defeat. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because that's who he is. King of kings and Lord of lords above all powers in heaven and on earth. There's great application of this truth for us. First of all, it means that our lives, no matter what we may suffer and endure in this fallen world, our lives are not subject to random chance. We're not the victims of meaningless chaos in a universe which has no ultimate purpose. Nor are we the victims of evil which has no answer.
It means, Jesus' ascension into heaven means that there is an ultimate and final answer to the suffering and sadness of this fallen world. It means that there is an ultimate and final answer to the evil and injustice of this fallen world. That there is an ultimate and final answer to the reality of death in this fallen world. And the ultimate and final answer is the righteousness, peace, joy, and everlasting life of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, who will make all things new and who will make everything sad become untrue for those who belong to him through faith. What does the ascension of Jesus mean to you and for you? It means that Jesus Christ, who died for you, now reigns for you in heaven. Believe that. Live by it. Further, Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven as our great high priest. This is another very, very, very important point. We've already touched on it in the call to confession and repentance from the letter to the Hebrews. You see, Jesus offered up himself for us as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was the great high priest who offered up the perfect sacrifice, and that sacrifice was himself. But now risen from the dead, he stands as our great high priest in the presence of God the Father. He stands as the great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Because he himself faced temptation, real temptation. He did battle with the devil. He's been there for us. And now he stands for us as the one who is able to cleanse us of all our sins. To give us strength to resist the devil. And to bring us assuredly into the presence of God. He is our mediator and our advocate with the Father. And though Satan may stand against us and does stand against us in God's court. And bring the charges and the accusations of our sins against us. Jesus, our great high priest and advocate is there for us as the surety of our forgiveness because he offered himself for us. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He stands there who has, as the one who has suffered the punishment due our sins and God's justice against sin having been satisfied has no more justice to execute against those Whose faith is in Jesus. So whatever charge Satan might levy against us. Jesus our great high priest and advocate. Is there at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. To dismiss it. And as our great high priest. He continually intercedes for us. He prays for us. So that all his purposes for us will be fulfilled. Including our eternal salvation to the glory of the Father. And further, Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven as our Savior of human flesh and blood, as our brother. He has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, to reserve a place for us. On the bulletin cover this morning, you have from the Heidelberg Catechism, How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? And it says, the second answer, we have our own flesh in heaven. 
a guarantee that Christ our head will take us, his members, to himself in heaven. And that may be a rather strange answer. We have our own flesh in heaven. What it, what it is referring to is that we are in union with Jesus Christ. We are his body. He is our head. He is there for us and nothing can separate us from our union with him. Through our faith union with Christ, we have the assurance that our flesh will be raised. Our body will be transformed and glorified just as his has been. And he is there for us. He is our brother, our brother of human flesh. He is glorified dust in the holy of holies. And he's saving our place for us. Do you ever, do you ever um, Send anybody ahead of you. Maybe, maybe you send. It's kind of trivial, but it, you know, you send somebody ahead of you to the to the theater to save you a place. You send somebody ahead of you to beat the crowd at the restaurant, save you a place. Well, don't be distracted by the triviality, but meditate on the wonderful reality. But the one who died for you has gone ahead of you to reserve your place. To reserve your place with him in heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, in union with him, in faith, we have the assurance we have the Son of God risen from the dead, highly exalted above every power as our King. He is ruling over this fallen world. He is ruling over our lives with whatever distress we may encounter. And He's working His purposes out for His glory and for our good. And He will not fail and He will never give up. We have Jesus as the Son of God, our great high priest, our mediator, our advocate, highly exalted in the Holy of Holies, interceding for us, guaranteeing the forgiveness of our sins, securing our eternal salvation. We have Jesus, the Son of God, our brother of human flesh and blood, highly exalted in heaven for us, preparing and reserving a place for us in His glorious presence with the assurance that he will raise and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And therefore, because Jesus ascended into heaven and is exalted at the right hand of God the Father, we can be sure, we can be very sure, here is the surety expressed in Romans 8, 38 and 39, as the apostle wrote, I am sure because Christ is at, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, because Christ is interceding for us, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He ascended into heaven for us, for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is the fullness of salvation. 
And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would apply the truth of your word to our minds and to our hearts so that we, through faith in Christ, might live now as those who have been raised up with him, seated together with him in the heavenly places, so that now we might live on the earth as citizens of heaven, that all the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of your name. Amen.